hey everybody welcome back to author Eke. today i have terrence mccully uh is uh joining us on author Eke. so evidently he likes a nice cigar so that's awesome <laughs> nothing wrong with that he's gonna talk about uh, his books himself and we're gonna talk about the process and whatever uh pops into our head if you guys have watched uh, any of my episodes so uh terrence take it away Oh, thanks for having me on here, pal. I really appreciate that. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Terrence McCauley. I've written uh, 30 novels now across three genres. Holy Rollers. smokes. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been busy. I've been blessed to be busy. Um, but across three genres, it's thrillers, crime novels, and westerns. And so I always try to tell everyone who asks me, well, what do you write? I say I write a little bit of everything, and hopefully you'll find at least one book that you enjoy. Um, I do like science fiction. I do like horror. I haven't gotten into those books yet, but I definitely am interested in doing that in the future. I wrote a sci-fi book for a small publisher a couple of years ago. Uh Uh, They got nice attention, but you know, it's, uh, I definitely enjoy it. It's just something that I haven't really focused on. But uh, the two things that people do tend to like that I've written are my uh, techno thrillers, and my westerns so uh you know those are kind of the uh feeders if you will to get people to go from one genre into the other nothing wrong with that no Uh, not at all not with the old bait you know bring them in the bait let them uh, hook them and bring them in reel them in that's right that's right have you ever thought about writing one that encompasses all three oh right (laughs) well you know it's funny in, in a lot of my westerns i try to find a way that i can do that um, because in my uh, research for doing the Westerns, uh-huh. it, I found that it was a much more political time than we might think. Right. Um, you, if you watch some of the old movies from the 1940s mm-hmm. and 50s <clears throat> or the TV series that a lot of people grew up watching, everything was very whitewashed. Everything was just about the protagonist squaring yeah. off against the villain in the last act and yeah. gumming him down, and then everybody goes back to work. It wasn't like that. It was a very complicated uh, time to be alive, especially when everything around you was conspiring to kill you. Uh, plague, disease, droughts, floods, everything. I mean, you, you were at the mercy of the weather. So, uh, you know, it was a very political time. It was also a very dangerous time, uh, even though, truth be told, you didn't see too many gunfights in Main Street at high noon. But yeah. there were plenty of other ways to get killed back then. So I tried to incorporate everything that uh, I've written in my other genres, usually in my Westerns. Um, When I'm doing the the crime novels that are set in 1930s New York, or Mm. I'm doing my techno thrillers, I try to take a little bit from my Westerns where I have believable action. So it doesn't seem like everything that you see on TV shows or you've read in other Mm. thrillers. So uh, elements of all of them tend to bleed together. That's remarkable. 30 books. That's, yeah, that's, 30 that's books. Remarkable. That's remarkable. Most of them have my name wow. on them. I get to the 30 because I've ghostwritten for a successful series. I'm not going to uh, tell you the series or the genre, but right. um, that's, how I've, uh, that's how I get to the 30 number. And I've been blessed because uh, right now there are seven books in that series, and all of them have been a bestseller of one type or another. So I can't Excellent. claim it. But it's been, uh, it's it's still, it's all my but ideas you know and I work and, and I know it. And that's, but you know That's it. a big thrill. So when you, when you, do you set off and go, okay, today I'm going to start a Western. 
or it's been a while since I wrote a techno thriller or what, when do you, or how do you decide what to write or does it just kind of pop in your head? Like I have an idea. Right. Well, the ideas are always popping and then they stay up there until mm. I have a venue for them. But uh, usually these days I am lucky that my uh, schedule is dictated by the contracts I've signed and what the publisher needs from me. So lately right. that has been the Western genre. And, okay. but as you know, if you write one genre too much, in too many books in a row, it tends to get a little stale. So yes. to break it up and cleanse my creative palate, which is something I talk about on my own podcast with authors, mm -hmm. I tend to try to find another project that's completely outside the genre. So a short story or a, um, mm -hmm. you know, some, those are usually the best ways that I can do it. Or if I get, if I fall out of love with the story that I'm writing and it happens usually once a book, I'll yeah. try to do notes or something on something I know I'm going to need to write in the future. So it's uh, the downtime. Maybe I'm not putting words on the page for that particular project, mm -hmm. but as long as I stay at the keyboard right here, I'm able to do something about it and uh, things don't mm -hmm. get blocked up that way. So have you always been a writer or you just decided what, I'd say I'm going to write a book and then that just was a catalyst for what you're doing now? Right. I've always loved writing. I loved it in college, loved it in high school, mm. but I never really took it seriously enough to major in it. So mm. um, I took a creative writing class in college, but my major was political science. So okay. I figured maybe that would lead to a law career. Got talked out of that by a couple of lawyers who told me how <laughs> difficult that could be. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I listened to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, so then I got started in uh, government. And uh, so for 25 years, I was in government community community affairs, uh, mm -hmm. public relations for mm -hmm. a couple of New York State public benefit corporations. Okay, so it's been uh, so I would do that during the day, and then at nights and weekends I would work on my novels. And now I've been mm -hmm. fortunate to be able to uh, write full time. So that's what my focus has been the last three years. Excellent, excellent. So, do you wake up and go, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to write, or do you have a ritual? Or do you have a schedule, or do you have something that helps you write in, in your in, how, in your sequence of events? Right. Well, I mean, writing has always been a pleasure for me, and I consider myself incredibly fortunate that I'm able to do it, and I enjoy mm. it. It gives me a rush like nothing else. Um, but I, I do try to write every single day, and when I don't, I have to force myself not to. Um, I I have all of my ideas in my mind percolating right. all the time. Right. So as I said earlier, when I reach for them, they're there. And right. so when I need to, I just tap into that and I begin my project. Um, but sometimes w when you write as fast as I do, and mm -hmm. that's because of the ideas that are up here, yeah. uh, it leads to a lot of physical typing. So yesterday I didn't write, for example, because my arm was inflamed. So I had it in a brace all day. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so I have to be, uh, you know, I, I I've been publishing seriously since. Comp. Yeah, I know, right? I should, <laughs> I should, or at least a development deal. I said writers comp. Yeah, writers <laughs> comp. Yeah, that's what I should have. So uh, yeah, there are times when I have to take a break, and but I have to force myself to do it. Uh, there's always something to say, and there's always something to create. So uh, I usually will write every day, start around nine or ten, usually ten. And then I'll go until about six o'clock. Uh, I don't stop. And um, I stay in the, the chair and I'm always advancing whatever project I'm on forward. Uh, and these things help, you know. Oh, yeah. They, 
it's not as healthy as having a cigar uh, as having a salad. But, um, but you'd be surprised. I don't smoke as many as people think I do. Well, um, I usually do about one. But it's good to keep me anchored in the chair and mm-hmm. say, you know what? I don't feel like writing today. I'm going to go inside and watch a documentary on the subject I'm approaching. Right. But that's that'll help a little bit. But right. being at the keyboard, there's no there's no way to replace mm-hmm. that. Now, do you do what do you write like eight, ten thousand words a day? I mean, you have to write a tremendous amount of words. Yeah, my my average is usually around 5,000 words a day, uh, and that's pretty consistent. If it's less than that for me, mm-hmm. it's not uh, – I consider that a bad day. But it doesn't necessarily have to be new words. Sometimes I'll go back at what mm-hmm. I was working on earlier. I do the same uh, thing. Yeah. I started and that. Go ahead. Uh, and then it kickstarts it, and then mm-hmm. it, it helps me flow into advancing the story forward. Yeah, I've, I've started my third book. Probably five times. Yeah. And I got forty thousand words into it. And I'm like, oh, I can't. I just can't make it right. Uh, right. So what I did is I started something else. I go, oh no! Now I can use what I've wrote in these others and right. put it in because it's all the same kind of thing. So I just put them in there. I just got to make sure that I sequence them correctly and uh, either you know bring the bring the character up a little forward because there's multiple characters multiple things going on it's just not a single single thread of mm-hmm. action it's multiple things that go on for the for the bigger plot and that's right. i think that's a, that's a, that's a, the hardest part do you outline or do you just like boom pantser i just sit down and i start writing and, and uh, yeah. i the story evolves for me as it evolves for the people who read my stuff and that's the the beautiful thing about Excellent. it because i so my writing is almost like a travelogue, if you will. It ta- yeah. I take the reader through the creative process, just like I'm going through mm-hmm. it, and just like my characters are going mm-hmm. through it. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone back and changed something because now the story is a little bit different now, but in an important way. And as long as it's consistent all the way through, mm-hmm. that's great. And it's also important for staying at the keyboard because... You never know when an inspiration is going to come. Even if you're out of love with this particular book you're working on, right? anything new, anything creative, you can harvest that later on, just like you mentioned with your previous books. Mm -hmm. You would say, you know what, I'm going to take it from this story. might not be strong enough on its own, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to take it and I'm going to move it over and I'm going to use it here. Um, Mm -hmm. My first book was like that. I um, I was in my 20s. What was the first book you ever wrote? What was the first, the book, first you ever book I ever wrote? I can remember it well. Tenets of Power, and it was about. Um, it was based on the the Pisco merger, and it was uh, from a mergers and acquisitions group came in and bought the Bisco. I was telling that with a fictional company, so I could talk about the action that actually goes on in that kind of a deal. And I knew some people who were in that life, and I wanted to uh, dramatize it, and I wanted mm-hmm. it to be like a mammoth screenplay if you will because mm-hmm. he was he's a big inspiration on me where there's a lot of tension but very rarely is there a gun produced or a punch thrown or blood or anything mm-hmm. um a perfect example of that is uh, glengarry glenn ross probably one of the most violent movies i've ever seen without a single drop of blood or a gun shown in any scene oh, wow. and it was all because it was uh character driven dialogue driven and plot driven and you didn't need that stuff. And I think that's a much harder book to write. But Tenets of Power was my first attempt. There were some really great things there, but there were things mm-hmm. that just didn't appeal to people. And I didn't really know how to sell it properly. 
I so, don't think anybody does. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's exactly right. And I didn't have a track record. Right, but right. That book has lived on in five other books, bits and pieces of it. I've harvested it, and I've used the relationships, mm. the drama, the tension, the scene, and I've put yeah. them in other books. So that so people said, oh, well, that effort was completely wasted. Not at all. I've used it time and time again. Uh, so to the point where every element of that book is in um, is in ten other books. So it's a uh, it's like the genesis of all your books because you still take snippets out of it, which mm-hmm. are relevant in your books you have now. It's exactly right. Yeah, and it's been great to do that. And uh, so I always tell people, especially if they're starting out, there's no wasted effort. You might be able to take that book just because it got rejected all these times. You might be able to use a lot of that in other mm-hmm. projects. Yeah, I, I agree. I, because I mean, you just just put something down. You know, if it's a if it's a bullet point, and then expound mm-hmm. upon that bullet point. When, like I like, you know, I like to, I like to walk and exercise and come back and help me with the thought process. Or, yeah. or I wake up and go, oh no, I need so I need to get that down before I forget. I'm like like the Seinfeld episode where he wakes up, he jots that the joke down, and gets up in the morning and says, "What did I write?" And have to ask people, "What is this joke?" And nobody knows. Like they finally get it, and go, "That's not funny." Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what happens too, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and it's a process. And also too, it's not just about having a, a book in you or wanting to write a book. Mm. You have to train your mind a cert- to work in a certain way. And mm. that's not, uh, a lot of people say they can do that easy, but when they try it, it doesn't always work out so well. Yeah. So it's, um, it's definitely a skill that one has to work on for a while. Very few yes, people uh, are natural born writers. I mean, it's actually you know, there's a lot of dedication to it. As you you put a lot of yourself in your book, whether you you think you do or not, right? You're putting something about you in there. So, would yeah. you have to? Uh, how do you feel about killing off characters? Does that, how does that make I, you feel? <laughs> uh, for me, it's fine as long as people don't see it coming. But then when it happens, they say, "You know what? It's justified." Okay, I get yeah. that. Um, if you do it just to do it for shock value, you're going to yeah. lose your audience. Perfect example of that in another medium was uh, The Walking Dead. No spoilers, um, but you know they killed off a couple of really popular characters in a very ugly way. They lost most of their audience. Mm-hmm. Now, from the story perspective, it made sense. From the story perspective, they make it pay off. But if no one's there to read it, when it does pay off, it's yeah. not accomplishing anything. It doesn't matter. Yeah, right. you, you don't kill somebody just to shock somebody. Make it part of, okay, there's a... There's a reason why he or she was killed, right? Because now, because I can then I can add to that maybe somebody is okay. You know, the partner was killed. Now they go rogue, right? Now right. I'm going to find out who, why, who did it, no matter who right. it is, and you're able right. to continue that character along where it might have had a smaller part. Now it gets a it's a bigger part. It's like the snowball effect, right? It gets a bigger, exactly, bigger right. role within your book or the character uh, within right. your book. Yeah. And and you can actually you know evolve it to, into a certain way, especially if you're writing something in the historical mindset, uh, mm. set in the 1880s, for example, like a lot of my westerns have been. Uh, you know, having a, a female gunfighter back then, there weren't that many of them. There were a few, right. but it, there weren't. But that's why I make the women in my books. They're not going to be female gunfighters, but they're going to be strong women because that's mm. what you had to have back then. So yes, the the my protagonist, Aaron Mackey, he's married to a woman who owns a hotel in town. She's not just some school marm. She's actually tough, but in the ways that are historically accurate mm-hmm. without falling into those tropes that you see 
in um, Gunsmoke or other great series, right? Where they're where they're the, the, the newer school mom or Miss Kitty just owns a saloon. Okay, and all right. those pretty girls are around. They're not just sitting there but, serving but drinks. But she's she's Matt Dillon's girl. I mean, they never get married. They never get married, but he's fancy to her. He is. He definitely <laughs> is. So I mean, and and that's not a shot at the 1950s stuff mm. and the 60s. And I mean, Gunsmoke was on for 25 years for a reason. Yeah. But these days, I think even no matter when you're setting your story, people expect a certain kind of authenticity, and mm-hmm. I think they get a little turned off when you shoehorn people in there that just didn't make sense. And another beautiful example of when it you don't have to shoehorn it in is when you tell the real stories that happen there, and and you see that now in the the hit series Bass Reeves. Um, right. You know that's not a revelation. People like me and others, who, many others, who've researched that era in our history knew about Bass Reeves, and he's every bit as a badass as you think he is. Right. But you know you don't have to embellish that much, but you do have to tell that story. And I'm glad to see stories like his are being told in mm-hmm. mainstream formats. Yeah, you just had to put a your flair on it, right? That's it, right. Yeah, everybody. Okay, I expect when I read one of your books. Oh, okay. I, I can expect this type of uh, uh, personality or this type because, and I expect it. Right. That's why I buy the book. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it becomes a trademark. I mean, it's and there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I have a, you know, in my Aaron Mackey series, I have a, a black deputy who was a Buffalo soldier, and mm. you know, they, they a lot of people told me you can't publish a book like that. No one will buy it. No one will believe it. And it wound up being very popular, and the characters still are. So it's it, it, there's a difference between good storytelling and open pandering. And I think good storytelling wins all the time. Yep. Uh, as long as you justify it, whether it's a character that you might not expect to see, or it's uh, presenting uh, modern-day um, sensitivities, if you will, but in a, his- a proper historical context. Right. I believe the Buffalo Soldiers was the 10th Cavalry, as a matter yep. of fact. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very historic, very proud um, mm-hmm. history. Uh, and I think the unit's probably still around uh, to this day. I believe it is, yes. Yep. I believe so. So, when you, so you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write, or based on your contract, what you want to write. Is there something that you ever thought about writing like a kid's book or anything other that people would say, well, I didn't expect that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And, and my family's always pushing me to write about our cat, Marlo. Um, but I'm sure every writer wants to write about their, their family pet. Um, yeah. But, you know, I definitely wouldn't have any problem trying uh, giving a kid's book a try. I um, I don't have children, so I'm not really familiar with that genre. But oh, yeah. I'm always looking for a, a new challenge. And I love to dip my foot in the sci-fi pool. I know there's an mm. awful lot of work that could be done there. And I'd love to be able to try that. Um, I would probably keep my own name if I tried any genre except horror, because I think with horror, you need to, from what I've seen, you need to start with a fresh slate. If people Mm. say, oh, this guy's only written Westerns and thrillers and crime stuff, he's Mm. probably not going to do well with horror. So I'd probably come up with a, a pen name for that. But I've got plenty of ideas in my mind for that too. Pastiche and also modern day stuff. It's just a matter mm. of getting down to the, uh, the the point where I feel I've got something that I can sell and then going about trying to sell it. Yeah, I, I have a kid's book that I've started on and then I'm like, I don't know how to write a kid's book. 
Right. So I'm going to have to actually read some kids' books and go, okay, because I have the whole I have the whole book in my head, everything. So I just want to yeah. uh, kind of get that down. But it came pretty quick. So yeah, get it down and take a look at it. Yeah. So did, so uh, how how did you get a publisher? Did you from an agent perspective, or did people come to you, or do you still use a publisher? And and how do you work that right now? I definitely do. Yeah, I publish with a lot of different types of publishers in my career. I've published mm-hmm. with indies, and um, you know that is always an experience because the, the will might be there, but the ability to execute might not always be. So in terms of distribution or sales, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get some really great reviews early on in my career, that mm-hmm. which spurred me on to continue that series. Uh, now my Westerns are published by Kensington, and that's been a really great relationship as well. And mm-hmm. in each course of every series that I've done, I've always learned a little bit more about the business. Because oh, yeah. anybody who tells you they know all about publishing, they don't know all about publishing. It's no. always changing. There's always new people coming in looking mm-hmm. for new things. And I'm I'm encouraged by a lot of the new blood I'm seeing coming in across all genres mm-hmm. from people who weren't necessarily represented before. It's it's good to add to that mix. Yeah, I found the writer community is very nurturing to one another. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not competitive, uh like you know, from a book perspective, but it's, it's very, everybody seems to want to help each other, whether they're a name brand that you, you know, you hear of all the time or somebody you don't. Uh, mm-hmm. I think everybody has really gotten very uh, help. It's a symbiotic relationship with a lot of the authors and everything. Yeah, people, it's, uh, dip- it's difficult for writers who are pretty much solitary animals to have to go out and network oh, and yeah. um, shake hands and get to know people. But you know mm-hmm. what? That's how you get your blurbs. That's how you learn as a as a writer about what they're working on, going to conventions and, and at least attending the uh, the events that they have, mm-hmm. the panels. Because if you listen to them, that's where you get the raw story. And that right. can always help you with your career. Yeah. I, uh, I, I wish I'd have known that when my first book, you know, send it out to people then get their feedback and then be able to put that in your book or the book before it goes out. I mean, the, the launch was, there wasn't a launch. The book was available. Right. right. And I'm just furious uh, that I, that wasn't better or told that what should have been done. Right. Um, yeah. And there's also, I know too, now. <laughs> you know, now, and a lot of this business is learning by, uh, by failure, you know, learning how, and I don't even necessarily see it as failure. I think of it as disappointment. You know, yeah. just because someone didn't take your book doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means it's not good for them right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's there's stories throughout the history of publishing about books that were turned down and then went on to become mega hits and, and, and franchises unto themselves. So it's um, as long as you learn something from every setback, you, yeah. you never really lose in this business. Yeah, yeah that's just like, that uh, yeah, that's just like FedEx. Right. So FedEx was uh, the guy was at the University of Arkansas and had an idea about a hub spoke. And, you know, he took it to the banks in Little Rock and everything. Oh, no, that would never work. That would never. No, that's stupid. Yeah. Why would you why would you get a, have a letter from Little Rock and, and take it to Memphis and be able to, and it's going to be delivered in Little Rock? Why would you even do something like that? So he got right. turned down all the time. And that's why FedEx is not in uh, Little Rock. And, and look what it's done for Memphis. Right. I know. 
So uh, there's a lot of, they, I mean, a lot of stories behind things like that. So you're right. It, just, you know, continue, you know, just continue to write, write if you enjoy it. And eventually, you know, people, a couple of people to like it. I mean, that's, you know, that's cool. I mean, you wrote it. That's, that's free thought. That's not something that you took from somebody else. That's something came out of your noggin. Uh, right. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, spurts like water. It comes mm-hmm. out, right? Exactly. Right. It does. And I, I remember when I was writing Tenets of Power, I spent way too much time coming up with excuses not to send that out or not to finish it. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that was because I was getting used to being the idea of being a writer. I had graduated college and I said, oh, I want my first, this first book to be absolutely perfect. I workshopped it for years and I learned an awful lot about how to be a writer when I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But the project itself really didn't, um, I, I wasn't in a hurry to finish it. And my father encouraged, it was a huge reader. He encouraged me to finish it because he said, even if nobody publishes it for the rest of your life, no matter what you'll, you do, you'll be able to pull that out of the bottom drawer of your desk and say, I mm-hmm. finished something. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even do that. And yeah. that once you have that mindset, it makes a lot of other stuff possible. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also good to have, be engaged in conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I became a, a Western writer because I, I wrote a Western on spec way before I had an agent. And over lunch one day, I asked my agent, what do you think about uh, what's really selling now? And he said, well, I have a friend that's publishing Westerns, but no one's writing them anymore. Um, do you think you got a Western in you? I said, I've got one on my hard drive. And um, I sent it over to him. And now I'm I'm several books into uh, a couple of really successful series. So you never know where it's going to happen, but you have to have that engagement at some level. And like I said before, I know that's difficult for writers, but uh, networking and also reading are essential to any new writer and any experienced writer too, for that matter. Yeah, I used to, I traveled, I travel extensively every week and I'd, uh, I love Clive Cussler, right? Um, oh yeah. So I'd get one of his books and I'd read them during the week, or Robert Ludlum, uh, Tom mm-hmm. Clancy. Uh, so I'd, Jack Higgins. I, yeah, I do love those books. So I, I would read one every 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 week, a new one. Right. So when you, so tell us about your latest book. My latest book is in my uh, Western thriller set. Um, it is. The uh, try to make sure the sun doesn't block this out. Cool. Born to hang. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Born to hang. It is the fourth in my uh, Jeremiah Halstead series, Mm -hmm. which is a spinoff from my Aaron Mackey Billy Sunday series. Uh, They're all set in Montana, and uh, Jeremiah's father is in the first one. No spoilers. He, but Jeremiah comes in in the second and third ones, and then he was so popular that I said. You know, let me try to write this series. Let me give him his own shot. And wow. so he's he's very much a spinoff of the other successful series. So he is half Anglo, half Mexican. And anywhere he goes, he's always considered what they horribly called back then a half breed. So people mm-hmm. hate him because they think he's half Indian, but mm-hmm. he's he's not. And then mm-hmm. when they find out he's half Mexican, they don't really much care for him then either. But right. Jeremiah Halstead doesn't give a damn. And he is a deputy marshal who has faced an awful lot of challenges over the three books ser- series before this. Mm. And then in this one, he actually becomes a hunted man. Um, the, the person he brings to justice from the first three books uh, exacts revenge from the grave almost. 
and Jeremiah, and he pulls strings. And Jeremiah goes from being a deputy U.S. marshal to being a fugitive in some very harsh mountain conditions. And um, that was fun to write because, you know, if you're not going to kill your protagonist off, then you can, it's fun to to put them through hell. Yeah, exactly right. Punish them. Yeah, punish them. Yeah. And so he, uh, he definitely did that. He's gone through that and more in this book. And it's been uh, it's great. It's challenging and 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 also rewarding at the same time to continue a series because people know these characters yeah. throughout seven books now. This is the eighth in the overall series, and it's great to hear feedback from people who said, "Oh, I remember this character when he first started out, and now I feel like he's grown throughout all of this." So the, the reader's investment in the series is is fascinating to me, and, I, and it's the best part about writing it. Do you remember the Destroyer series? Uh, it was back in the, I guess, 80s, 70s, it was called the Destroyer. And one of the uh, characters in there was, uh, he could just touch you and like knock you out. Uh, oh, wow. It, was a, it made a movie, I forgot the movie, but it's called the Destroyers. But it, it's amazing. They're, they're good reads, right? They're, they're right. a quick read, they're a good read. And, and you, you make, okay, now what's going to happen in the next one? Right. Right. Yeah. The Mac Boland series, for example. Yes. I mean, that's exactly there's there's always a way to put a new spin on something that's been around before. And just Mm -hmm. because the the topic might be a little bit pulpy doesn't mean it's not good. As a matter of fact, a lot of those writers were writing three books at at a time. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, especially in, in the 60s and 70s, some of those books got written in a weekend because people didn't have a choice. You had to pay your rent. And that's how these people yep. wrote those books. So they were always punchy, a um, lot of action, a little bit formulaic at times. But mm. you know what? It's It doesn't uh, diminish their impact. So how many books are in, normally in one of your series? I mean, do you, do you, do you know when you're going to end it or how it's going to end? Or are you going to let that come to its natural conclusion? I usually, uh, in my dream world, it would come to its natural conclusion. Mm. I haven't officially ended any of my series right now there's usually and especially in the western genre there's usually a four book maximum because the uh reader tends to want to move on to something else oh wow from that character so that's the, the thinking now but uh that's the business side of it but from the creative side of it which is what i'm coming at it from mm-hmm. um i've never shut the door on any of these characters and i would my dream world i'd love to be able to write Western, then a techno thriller, then a uh, crime novel set in the 30s, and then, you know, rotate back or mm-hmm. maybe try something else. Right. But I, right. I love the rotation between them because it keeps me sharp. And it keeps the uh, garden of creativity watered, if you will. Yeah. So, how much, because your books are, you know, the, the, the techno thrillers and the crime and even the Western. So, how much research do you do? For the techno thrillers, I did an awful lot of research. Uh, I mm. had a lot of the benefit. And people said to me, "You know, I, did you talk to anybody who was a spy or something?" I said, "No, mm. I read the paper. I read uh, <laughs> trade journals." <laughs> yeah, I, you yeah. Know, um, just to tell you how t- technology has changed. When I did my first book, "Sympathy for the Devil," it's this one here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was the first in my um, university series. And not going to talk too much about it, but in that book, which came out about eight years ago, there were people who told me, you have the character, pick up his cell phone, it scans his face and his thumbprint, and it takes him into a secure app. 
that will never happen. You don't know what you're talking about. A device like that would weigh five pounds. They do that now. There's no, and I said, they're doing it in, in Japan right now. Yeah, I think yeah. Nokia had it. And they yeah. went, oh, no, that's ridiculous. And then, of course, uh, as I go through uh, the, the series, there are geopolitical um, events involved mm-hmm. where the Russians are the bad guys. And I had some people say, are you kidding me? Stop. They're nothing. They're, <laughs> they're not going to ever do anything. They're, they're done. They're, they're going to get absorbed by China. They'll be a hater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, stop. The 80s want their, uh, the 80s yeah. called, they want their plot back. And what yeah. Bang. Yeah. It's all, yep. and that's not just, that's not because I'm so, so far advanced or because I've been blessed with divine insight. It's because right. I pay attention to stuff. I've been in that world, uh, the, the government world my whole life. I just yeah. know how people in that area think. And that's what leads to the uh, the plots. So uh, you, research is important, especially if you're going to be doing something uh, in the past, believe it or not. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, the most critique I've gotten from people were from my 1930s stuff where they didn't think people acted like that then, but they did. Uh, mm-hmm. They were a lot more worldly than we give them credit for, or that you might think by watching mm-hmm. some of the um, the post-production uh, code movies mm-hmm. uh, of the 1930s and 40s. Uh, they, they were a lot more worldly. Um, and then my Westerns, God forbid, you get a term wrong, people will stop reading the book and they'll never read you forever. So the type of saddle somebody uses, the parts of the saddle, the parts of the stagecoach, and the armaments. That's you get those wrong, people stop writing, uh, reading your stuff. So it's important to do the research, and you know, especially with the westerns, I've got a lot of that down. But I can't tell you how many times I Google still stuff to this day when I'm starting a new project. Uh, oh, I do a tremendous amount. Yeah, I do. You have to. I do a lot of technology. Uh, okay. So, uh, so the latest book, Cobalt, I, I have facial recognition. Mm-hmm. So I went through and I did, you know, facial. I did. A ton of research on it because I wanted to inform the reader as they read what is our, what is facial recognition. What are the four steps in facial recognition? And out of those four steps, what could the CAA probably do to prevent facial recognition? Right. Or, right. or I talk, you know, satellite imagery, or you know, oil wells and things like that. Because uh, you got to have that stuff right and believable, even if it's in the future that doesn't exist right now. You want to go. That's possible. I can see right. that. Yeah. yeah, it could be near technology. That's yeah. right. I, in my university series, I have a, a computer system called Omni that um, has, I call it regenerative uh, strategy, but mm-hmm. that was an early term for what I called AI. And mm-hmm. that's what uh, you did. That was coming. And it's just if you if you look at your at research as an evolution of things that happens and how they happened, you can also do that for what happened in the past and what's going to happen oh, in yeah. the future. Oh, definitely. Uh, and I, and I, but I love doing the research. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, want, I want to write a World War I book. Uh, yeah, I wrote one of those. I wrote, and uh, I, I, think I, I think I have the area that I want to write, write about because, you know, the world that we live in now is the, it was the result of World War I. Uh, right. You know, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, and it's a difficult war for people to get their head around because they're saying all of this happened because of this one thing. Well, it wasn't yep. just one assassination; mm-hmm. it was a a lot of brewing of resentments over the years, yep. and it was just nineteenth century Victorian mores coming up against twentieth century mm-hmm. realities. And yep. 
that was a horrible war. I wrote a book called The Devil Dogs of Belleau Wood, where all of the proceeds go straight to the Semper Fi Fund. And mm. uh, Belleau Wood was, as you probably know, the the uh, story where the, the event where the Marines got their modern day badass reputation. And the Devil Dogs. One, the Devil Dogs. The Devil Dogs of Belleau Wood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was, um, you know, I, I, I did a lot of research into that. Had a Marine historian friend of mine uh, talk to me back and forth about what we could and couldn't put in there uh, based on what the technology was back then and, and the tactics. Right. And so it's, if you, I encourage you to take a deeper dive into that era because I'll tell you that that was some, was was some phenomenal. excellent I mean, stories to tell. And I just really became interested in that in the last few years for some reason. I know, you know, I've always been through World War II, Vietnam. I was in the Army, right. so I get, you know, I get all that. But right. there's just so much, uh, you know, watch Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, there's some movies out there that will just, when they made them, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it was, that war was, uh, that was terrible. Yeah, 1918 yeah. is another one to take a look at, too. Yeah. It, was, it came out a few years ago. But it was just brutal and horrible conditions, the trench mm. warfare. I mm. mean, it was just, oh, God. I mean, people don't appreciate what it was. And then there, I also, in my, my research into World War One, mm. found out about the war that they had between the Italians and the, and the Germans in the Alps, where they would be tunneling next to each other. And people went insane. Uh, from, from doing that, so it's just it, that era. You are, I, I'm so yeah, happy I've, I've that you're going to be looking uh, into that. I've reached, I've researched two battles in the Alps. There was two significant battles uh, in the Alps, so I've been doing some research on that because I think it'd be just fascinating to put it uh, in a historical perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is, and it was just it was brutal fighting. It was. It was, I mean, when it first started, they were using Victorian tactics against machine guns. You know, you, you can't yeah. charge a line like you, you did back in the uh, it's, 1800s. It's not charge and, a light brigade, right? I mean, this is, uh, it'll mow you down. That's excellent. Yeah, it definitely will. Yeah. And then you had an old uh, horse soldier like uh, George Patton who yep. put automatic weapons uh, mounted to Jeeps. And yep. charge into battle that way in Mexico. So it, it's also the innovation that comes out of that. Tanks were used for the first yep. time. It's a, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, and, and that's a lesson to anybody who's thinking about writing something. Do the research and you're going to find inspiration mm -hmm. in whatever kind of story you want to tell by stuff that really actually happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. I, that, that just fascinates me. Uh, you know, I've got a couple others. I was a, I used to patrol the East West German border. It was part oh, of wow. So I said, hmm, there's something in there that you could write uh, oh, definitely. about that. God, yeah. yeah. So I was like, uh. but yeah, I got, you know, crazy. So uh, <laughs> what's on the agenda for you? What's, uh, what's, uh, what's, well, what's what up? I'm working on, what I'm working on right now is uh, a labor of love. You're talking about research and how it, uh, it, it mm. can take its own uh, life of its own. Um, my, uh, during the uh, pandemic and, and points since I, I've always loved stuff that was, uh, I would say, near history. You know, mm -hmm. things like UFOs, Bigfoot, ancient aliens, oh, all yeah. that stuff. I love all of that, looking into that. Um, and I've always been able to look into it and come up with some real-world explanations about stuff that people have seen. You know, with ancient aliens, I don't believe that. I think it right. was people who got around a lot more back then on wooden ships than we gave them credit for. It's, oh, yeah. That, that's a Polynesians. much more sound explanation. Yeah. The Polynesians. Polynesians. Oh, my goodness. You know, stuff you see in, in Central America in yeah. ruins, 
and they're, they're, they used to pick people that don't look like them, that had yeah. beards and whatnot. Well, then someone must have been there to give them that knowledge. They didn't just yeah. pull this out of the air. And, you know, it, it makes more sense that someone got on a ship rather than in a starship sure. and, and yeah. came across. Um, so I, I, but the one thing that I've looked into uh, and I've looked into Bigfoot and said, well, bears walk around on their hind legs a little bit more than we think. So that probably has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one thing that I wasn't able to suss away through research was the uh, the JFK assassination because there were so many facets of it that in, and and there were so many things that just there were too many dots that didn't connect, but mm. that they're big dots and they should connect someplace and they do if you just look at it enough. And uh, so I I got interested in the people who research it, not necessarily what they were saying, mm. but how they went dove into it, and so. I watched, uh, there's a great uh, YouTube channel called uh, America's Untold Stories with Mark yes, Robert I've seen that. and yeah. Uh, yeah, Eric Handler. And they both go into, they'll explore a certain aspect of the assassination plot, but from a journalist's perspective. And Mark mm-hmm. especially will say, I did this research, but don't take my word for it. Do your own. Maybe you'll come up to your with your mm-hmm. own conclusion. And I, that was unique because usually when you watch one of these documentaries, people come in with their own idea of and then the whole documentary is steered right mm-hmm. toward that. Um, mm-hmm. But with him, he kept it open-ended. So I started doing my own research and that's when through that research, I got an idea for a book that I wanted to write on my own, but in my own way. And I saw a lot of books that have been written about the assassination. Mm-hmm but none of them from a local cop's perspective. Uh, and so I want to write a trilogy based on uh, the months leading up to, including, and then after the assassination from a Dallas detective's perspective. And it's going to be a crime novel, a series of crime novels that I think are going to appeal to an awful lot of people because you mm-hmm. usually don't hear about the Dallas cops. It's about the FBI or yep. the way James Elroy did his wonderful uh, trilogy about you know, but it, but it, it was much more expansive. If mm-hmm. I, I my goal is to approach it just from a crime writer's perspective and have it be a uh, like a, any other street crime, but with obvious world and historic mm-hmm. implications. While I was doing that research, I found out about the original plot to assassinate JFK in Chicago in 1963, three weeks before Dallas, huh. and. It's documented. It has been reported on. It was reported all through the 70s, mm. but no big public publishers wanted to touch it because, you know, it kind of kills the lone gunman theory because mm-hmm. it does prove that there was a plot. Yeah, so yeah. while I'm trying to sell the JFK trilogy, a friend of mine suggested, why don't you do a prequel or a, a novella that gets people interested in this stuff? And I said, Chicago 63, that's the deal. So huh. um, I wrote a novella. Yeah, I wrote a novella based on a lot of stuff that happened in Chicago, late October, early November, that proved there was a plot. And what they did was they took that exact layout, mm-hmm. used it in Dallas. And that happened. That That's real. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's been documented in several places. So my next project is trying to get people interested in that novella. That'll be happening in the next few weeks. And oh, nice. uh, I think it's a journey that people are going to be excited to take with me. We're going to give... Uh, the audience more access to how this is going to work than ever before. People are going to be able to pick the cover. They're going to get uh, mm-hmm. unique content that I have with people uh, who are experts in this field. And you're not necessarily going to agree with all of them, but you're definitely going to want to hear what they have to say because 
a lot of the landscape of that event mm-hmm. has changed with new revelations over the last two, three years. So yeah, I would recommend uh, uh, go to Daily Plaza in Dallas and talk to some of those folks there, and you'll get a perspective, a thousand different perspectives from those folks that, that that's where they're working, that's where they do all day is they talk about uh, – you know JFK, the book depository, and mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it's it's an interesting place. Well, excellent. So where it definitely is. So where can everybody get a hold of you? Sure. Well, you can look for me on my uh, website. It's Terrence T E R R E N C E McCauley M C C A U L E Y dot com. I'm also on uh, Twitter, Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's same, how we found uh, each other. That's exactly right. Yeah, right. That's, that is. That's yeah. how we found each other. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and, and so all, and I'm also, all of my books are available on Amazon if you just look me up or you look up any of my books like this one. You know, when if you like Westerns or you know somebody does, want yeah. to hang. It's uh, all of the books can pretty much be standalones, but it's always nice if you start from the beginning and then mm-hmm. move forward. So uh, those are the best ways people can keep uh, in contact with Excellent. me. I also do my own uh, response to all the emails I can. So uh, I love hearing feedback from people. Excellent. Well, Terrence, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I, your first sentence blew me away when you said you did 30 books. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a labor of love, put it that way. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, wish you the best. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, JFK, I'll let you know about the World War I thing. Yeah, please uh, do. Yeah, that's an go. interesting project, and I encourage you to look into it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it's something that fascinates me. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.